If you've got a Bible, don't forget we're in Hebrews chapter 13. Last week, we made it through the first four four verses, all right? Uh, Or sorry, two weeks ago. Last week was Chester Joash. But two weeks ago, we made it through the first four verses. I have wonderful news to give you this morning. We are finishing the book of Hebrews today. It's happening. This is it. We are pushing through, even if we have to be here till four o'clock. Just kidding. But we are going to get through it. Um, together. And so if you um, don't know, we've been studying through the book of Hebrews uh, for about six months now, maybe even longer than that. I'm not really sure. I lost track of time. Um, That happens to me fairly often. Uh, But we've been studying through the book of Hebrews together, uh, walking through literally chapter by chapter, verse by verse, um, and just exploring all the richness of God's word. So this morning, I want to pick up in verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, We're going to read through uh, around about verse 18-ish, and uh, I'll uh, explain it from there. So let's jump in Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 5. Here we go. Keep your life free. From love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. What a beautiful verse, but it seems kind of out of context. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside of the camp. So Jesus also suffered suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside of the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, uh, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good. And to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. We're going to pause there. Let's pray over the reading of God's word together. God, we thank you for these pages and these words. God, we thank you for the stories that we can read and we can study. God, we thank you this morning as we wrap up our time in Hebrews for uh, just this particular passage. God, for the, the chapters and verses that we have spent literally months, God, pouring ourselves over. And God, we thank you for the blessing Uh, of those words in our lives. And God, I pray that this morning you would take what we've learned in this amount of time, God, and that you would just um, wash it over our hearts and our minds again, God, and purify us with your word. Show us what needs to be changed in us, God, that we would reflect your glory all the more to people around us, family and friends and coworkers and neighbors. God, that we would be the people you're calling us to be. Father, we love you 
and we praise you for all that you're going to do this morning. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, guys, so just to recap for the hundredth time, we have been walking through this story, and the whole theme of the book of Hebrews is simple. It is that Jesus is greater. And we have walked through that and walked through that. And the whole premise was the writer of Hebrews is writing a letter to a, Jew, a group of Jewish converts, uh, Jews who have converted to Christianity, and they are trying to figure out who Jesus is and what implications there are to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God and he sacrificed himself for us. And so they're in this internal wrestling match of do I continue to follow the tenets of Judaism or do I turn and begin to follow this Jesus guy? And if I follow Jesus, what does that change in me? And so the writer of Hebrews opens up with this very eloquent several chapters of Jesus is greater than the angels and Jesus is greater than Moses and Jesus is greater than Aaron and Jesus is the great high priest and Jesus's covenant is better than the Old Testament covenant. And he just walks them through piece by piece of explaining to them the orthodoxy of who Jesus is, that Jesus is the son of God and that he came to this earth and that he loved well. And because of his sacrifice, he is greater than all of these things that the Jewish people had held in very high esteem. In fact, it even gets to the point where the writer of Hebrews begins to dismantle the temple. And so we get to this passage where uh, the writer of Hebrews says, man, we don't have to walk into a holy place anymore or a holy of holies and sacrifices of blood and animals is unnecessary anymore because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And so we get all this orthodoxy, this understanding of who Jesus is in the opening chapters. And then we get to this transitional chapter that takes us into the orthopraxy, the practice of that. So take what we know and now let's live it out. What does that change in us? And he spends the last half of the book of Hebrews telling us what it looks like to live a life that honors Jesus, right? And so we walk through this thing, uh, and so we're, we've been walking through the orthopraxy side for several weeks now, and, and now we get to this last chapter of Hebrews, and, and he's bringing it all home. And so two weeks ago, I told y'all, Hebrews 13 is basically just like a bullet point list of like, hey, do this, hey, do this, hey, do this, hey, do this. Take what you know about Jesus. Here's what that means. Go walk this way. But there's a little more depth to it than just a bullet point list. As we get into this last part of Hebrews chapter 13, he goes a little deeper. And so we've got to understand a few things about this passage that I want to walk through with you. And it begins in verse 5 with this concept of being content with what we have. And so this morning, really kind of the topic for us is on this orthopraxy side. If Jesus is greater, then how does that change what we live today or how we live today with a focus this morning on the idea of being content. And so I want to walk through this with you, just as the writer of Hebrews does, just verse by verse. So let's look back at verse 5. He says this, Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. There are two big phrases in this verse. He says, keep your life free of, from love of money. And I want to pause there because this is a verse that gets pulled out of context. Y'all probably heard this before, but money is not the root of all evil. It is the 
Love of money, that is the root of all evil, all right? Money is essential to life. You've got to work a job. You've got to pay for things. You've got to afford food, right? Like You've got to have a roof over your head. You've got to have all of these things, and money in our system is what allows us to do that. God blesses us with money, not only to be able to sustain our lives, but also to sustain the ministries of his church. And so, man, last week was a great example of that as we walked through the chest of Joash, of just how God blesses and he used money to do that. If money by itself was the root of all evil, then last week's offering was probably a bad thing, all right? Not something we should celebrate, but it it was a good thing. God gave you resources, and you were able to in turn give those resources to the church, and the church is able to move forward because God has blessed. Money is not the root of all evil. It is the love of money that becomes a problem, But it's not just the love of money, it's the love of possessions in general. He goes on not just to talk about money, he says, but be content with what you have. Contentedness is one of the biggest problems in American culture today, and and really not just America, but uh, if you travel outside of the United States, there are many countries uh, where this is also the case. But it seems to be here that contentedness is one of the biggest challenges that we have. We always want the bigger and the better and the more flashy. We want the house that exceeds our needs and the car that looks beautiful as we drive. Um, Lindsay and I have wrestled with this, y'all, in the last year. I don't know if y'all know what we drive right now. All right, but we've wrestled with this. I traded in a beautiful Tahoe um, this past year. We sold that. We were thankfully gifted by a wonderful family. We were gifted with a 15-passenger blue Ford church van, all right? And so uh, by our choice, all right, I'm going to say that, all right, it was our choice. Uh, Lindsay and I got to a place where we were just, man, we were just ready to be done with any kind of debt. Um, And so it was like, man, car loans, credit cards, like it's all got to go. And so one of the biggest things that was eating up money for us every month was a car payment, uh, insurance on that large car payment, uh, and the gas that a Tahoe, a V8 engine takes. And so uh, the biggest way that we could save some money was to say, let's not have a car payment. Now, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but pastors don't make a ton of money. So if we were going to go without a car note, it was going to have to be something cheap that we could just you know, write, some, write a check for, uh, which isn't a big check. So we made the commitment. We were going we to downsize. We're not really downsize. We actually upsized in size. We downsized in debt considerably, but we saved a ton of money every month for the last six months that we've been driving that vehicle. Our family has been able to do well, but, but I'll be honest, there are days, even like yesterday, pulling into the uh, trunk or treat, and you pull in, and all these people are pulling in in like nice SUVs, and Antonio, our Spanish pastor, pulls in in his big old whatever he's got. I don't know, but it's nice. And he pulls in and pushes a little button, and his trunk opens automatically, you know, and it's all leather seats and DVD players, and we're over here in our 15-passenger van going, yeah. <laughs> all right, there's just, there's a wrestling match that happens inside of you of like, hey, Lindsay, you think we could afford a car payment yet? Um, like, are we there yet? Can we do that? Like, there's this wrestling match that happens, but the truth is we don't need the car payment. We don't need the debt. We, what we have is working for us, and it's good, and, and, and it may not look flashy, and man, we might pull in, and some of y'all might even be embarrassed by your pastor and be like, hey, can I introduce you to some people away from your car? Like, can you come over here? And t- I don't know, but like, we don't care because it's like, man, God is doing something in this, but we wrestle with contentedness all the time. 
we wrestle with is what we have enough. Is what God has placed under our care, is it right and is it good? And the writer of Hebrews, as he sums up all of the book of Hebrews, this whole discussion about how Jesus is greater and, and how wonderful Jesus is and how if we'll follow him, man, Jesus will just change our lives. And he has this whole big discourse about how Jesus is just greater than anything that we could ever want or dream for. And then he sums up his whole passage this whole book of the Bible with a statement, be content. And the idea is that it draws our attention back to this idea that, man, if we have Jesus in our lives, we have enough. If we have Jesus, we don't need the bells and the whistles. We don't need the incredible amounts of debt. We don't need the bigger house or the bigger car or at least the bigger car payment. We don't need any of those things. We just need Jesus in our lives because he is greater than all of these things. And yet we wrestle. And yet internally our heart stirs and we desire things and we get drawn away. And so the writer of Hebrews follows that up with a couple of statements that I just want us to really draw our attention to. He says, man, be content with what you have. And then he gives us a because statement at the end of verse 5 and then into verse 6. He says this. He says, be content with what you have, for he, being God, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be content with what you have because God's presence is with you always. Whether you drive an Escalade or a 15-passenger Ford van, God's presence is with you. Whether you live in the home of your dreams or are gutting a house that's fallen apart, God's presence is with you. Whether you minister in a community that you love and cherish, or a community that is a challenge, God's presence is with you. Whether your family is the ideal family uh, and, and just looks good and man, is, is functioning the way it should, or if your family is falling apart, God is with you. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. In fact, he goes on in verse 6 and he quotes a passage from Haggai. He says, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? He says, man, how can we be content with what we have by remembering that God's presence is always with us. He will not forsake us and that God is our helper. Rosie, this week, as we were getting ready for um, Trunk or Treat, we were painting a sign and I told Tyler I really could have used his help because I'm not a painter. Uh, but I, I did my best with it. We went to Walmart and just got a black poster board and some paints and uh, some paint brushes, and we came back to the kitchen table, and I sketched out this sign that was going to say, Pie the Pastor, and have a slice of pie in the background, and it was going in my head, I could see it, and it was going to be the coolest sign ever, and lives were going to be changed because of this Pie the Pastor sign that was going to be taped to the back of my 15 Ford passenger van, all right? And so we were excited about the sign, and I went to transfer it from a drawing to the paint, and it just flopped miserably on this table, all right? It was bad. Uh, but as I was painting this sign, Rosie kept coming into the dining room, my daughter, and she says, Daddy, can I help? 
well, sweetie, this sign is going to change people's lives, okay? And so daddy needs to really make sure this happens right. <sighs> okay, and she would leave for a little bit, and I'd get back to serious painting, you know, painting on the lines, making sure everything looked just right. And about five minutes later, Rosie come in the room, Daddy, are you doing a part I can help with yet? Rosie, honey, I'm telling you, this sign has to look good, and I love you, and you're doing such a great job with your art stuff, but this is big people art, okay, right? And like that, I'm not saying those things, but that's what's going on in my mind, right? I'm like, I love you, sweetie, but uh, I think Zeke needs you to go play with him for a little while, right? Like, we're kind of pushing, man, Rosie wanted to help so bad, and there are certain people in your life that you'll accept that help from. And there are certain people that in certain situations you go, mm, maybe not this project, maybe the next one, right? Scripture teaches us that God wants to help us. Not just with painting pie the pastor signs. But the Lord wants to be our helper through the darkest days that we face. The Lord wants to help us through the financial circumstances. The Lord wants to help us when our family doesn't look quite the way we thought it was going to look. The Lord wants to help us when we're struggling with that sin that we don't want to tell anybody about, but that we've struggled with for years. The Lord says, man, I want to be your helper. And man, what better helper? My daughter, I love her to death, but she's seven. No, sorry, she's nine. Just kidding, that's bad. She's nine, don't tell her I said that. She's nine years old, and man, she's great. She's wonderful. I love her, but... There are certain things that she just can't help me with. But there is not a single thing in this world that my God cannot help me with. Which begs the question why I don't ask for the help sooner. I don't know about y'all, but I'm kind of prideful in what I think I can accomplish. I'm kind of prideful in what I think that I can do. And so a lot of times I will forsake going to the biggest helper that I have in my life in exchange for trying to do it on my own first. And only once I have royally messed it up, do I go to God and say, hey, God of the universe who offered your help to me from day one, let me me come beg for forgiveness over here and see if you'll help me fix the mess that I created. And that's not the picture that the writer of Hebrews gives us here. He says, man, be content with what you've got because the Lord is your helper and everything that you face, God wants to be right in the middle of that with you. And he will help you get from one end to the other. I preached a message to you guys. It's probably been, I don't know, two years ago out of the book of Psalms. And it's still one of my favorite passages to this day. It talks about this idea that the dark is as light to God. That is like, man, when everything around us seems dark and we can't see, that to God, it's like the brightest room ever. (laughs) To God, it's like I can see from one end to the other. I know the destination from the end. I can see the obstacles. I can see the path you need to walk. I know how to get you there, and I want to help you do it. Just walk with me. The Lord is my helper. And so when things seem bleak and things seem to fall apart and things are challenging, I can remember to be content because whatever I face, God is right there with me. And no matter the darkest day or the brightest, about the brightest night, the darkest day or the brightest day, God is with us. 
Then he wants to give us a practical example. See, we could go on to read verse 7 this way. We could separate it from verse 6 and verses 8 and 9, and we could, just re- we could just read it this way. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. We could read that as a command. We could read it as, hey, look to the people who are teaching you and leading you, and for the, the people who are the audience of the book of Hebrews, look to these apostles who have come into your villages and your cities and have proclaimed Jesus to you, and just imitate them. And we could read that as a command, and there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not actually the direction that the writer of Hebrews is drawing us to. He's actually using them as an example of what to do, not necessarily a command to follow them, but a command to pay attention. He says, remember your leaders? In other words, like, hey, as you're thinking about this, don't forget about these guys. Let me show you what their lives look like. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And that allows us, if we read it that way, that allows us to connect it to verse 8, which says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So in other words, remember these leaders and see how God has acted in their life. Remember the book of Hebrews that was written almost 2,000 years ago and all the things that we saw there? Remember Hebrews 11 that taught us about all the Old Testament stories that happened even thousands of years before that? Remember all of these stories, how we've seen God move and act and breathe and do all these incredible things? Remember that? Well, hey, by the way, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, so be content with what you have because the God who protected a prostitute in the walls of Jericho protects you today. Be content. Be content with the fact that this God who parted seas for his people, this God who rained down plagues on the nation of Egypt, this God who gave, man, Abraham children, this God who multiplied them into a nation, This God who came as a baby in a manger and died on a cross for us, this God is the same God in your life today. And he says, you can remember those leaders. You can remember those people. You can see the outcome of God in their lives. You can see how God did incredible things in them. And that same God is your God. He is greater He is greater than all of these things that you face. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then he goes on to verse 9 and gets even more practical with us. He says that since Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, verse 9, he says, Do not then be led astray or led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. And then he goes into this weird discussion about sacrifices outside of the camp. And so I want to pause here for just a minute because we've got to really understand what's happening. See, as this movement of Jesus was occurring across all of the Middle East and parts of Asia and Africa, as these apostles who had centralized in Jerusalem, they received the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, they preached it into uh, the, the city gates, and literally thousands of people gave their lives to Christ in one day, and then those thousands of people dispersed and went home. 
And so this movement of God began to be created where literally the name of Jesus was being proclaimed. Just literally, it went from just one city to worldwide, or at least the known world to them at that point, just in the matter of days and weeks. And so churches are springing up in every city. I mean, things are just happening. Paul begins his ministry, and he begins to travel and speak in all these cities and teach them about Jesus and plant these home churches that eventually turned into just an incredible movement. The apostles like Peter and John, they continue to proclaim the name of God until they eventually lose their lives over it. But but there's this movement that has been created that is just blowing up. But in the middle of all that, keep in mind that these people are coming out of Judaism and trying to figure out what Christianity looks like. And in the middle of that, there are some other people, some snakes in the grass, some wolves in sheep clothing that are kind of creeping in and they're beginning to try to twist the words of Jesus a little bit, which, by the way, has been the tactic of Satan since day one. Let me just twist it a little bit. Go back to the story of Adam and Eve, and you'll see that. Adam and Eve are in the garden, and the serpent comes, and he says to Eve, he doesn't say, come right out and say, God's a liar. He asks the question, did God really say that? He begins to twist the words of God in the heart of Eve until Eve eventually gives into the temptation and gives some of the fruit to her husband, who also gave in. Satan's tactics have not changed In fact, Satan, even when he tempted Jesus, if you remember those stories, Jesus is baptized by his cousin John. He comes out of the water and immediately enters into a 40-day fast in the wilderness. And that's our kids. It's okay. Um, It's probably my son. All right, so they go into this 40-day fast uh, in the wilderness, and, and, and he's praying, and he's seeking after God. And on the last day, we read that Satan comes in Jesus's weakest moment. If you can imagine going 40 days with no food, all right, like you're hungry, you're cranky, Snickers isn't going to fix this moment for you. All right, you need something more. And, and so Satan pops up, and he says, hey, Jesus, hey, why don't you throw yourself down off the temple and, and man, if you'll do that, man, angels, right? The word of God says you're not going to break a bone. And so the angels, they'll just swoop down and they'll save you, right? He's taking the words of God and he's twisting them. And he says to them, hey, why don't you just take uh, these rocks that are down here? You're hungry, right? Man, you've been, you've been fasting for 40 days. Even these rocks are starting to look good. If you really are the son of God, why don't you just turn those into some bread? Twisting God's word. If you really are the son of God. He continues to tempt Jesus with all of these things, and Jesus repeatedly corrects Satan. And you know how Jesus repeatedly corrects him? By going to the source. He quotes Scripture every time. You want to twist it? Now, you can't twist it. I know the truth. You want to take it out of context? You can't. I know the context. You want to distort what God has to say? You can't. I know what God said. And so the writer of Hebrews, this this tactic of Satan hasn't changed. He's putting some wolves in in sheep's clothing into all these churches that are springing up literally everywhere, all right? And some strange teachings are starting to come into the church, some things that don't sound or look right and definitely don't line up with what Jesus taught. And, And so the writer of Hebrews, he sends this letter to them and he says, hey, be content with what you've got. Hey, man, you need to rely on Jesus. He's your helper. God, God's going to give you what you need. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, if a teacher creeps in who starts to say stuff that doesn't seem like it lines up with who Jesus has been yesterday, today, and forever, you might want to perk up and listen for a moment. 
you might want to listen to what they have to say and begin to sift through that a little bit and go, hmm, that doesn't sound quite right. Time for you to go. How do we know when we're being led astray by false teachers? We go back to what we know from God's word, the truth that we find in it to be able to discern when someone's bringing in strange teachings or whether or not that is who God really is, which is why it is so important that we hold this book with high esteem in our lives. It is so important that this is the foundation for our truth because the God who wrote this word for us is the same God that we serve today. And if anyone walks in and tries to teach something different than what's on these pages, we immediately perk up and go, that's a strange teaching, time for you to go. But that only happens when we understand who Jesus is, that he is greater than that. Because there's also this wrestling match that's going on with them of, of remember, these are Jews who've converted to Christianity. And so the, even what the apostles are teaching at this point is different than what's in the Old Testament. And so there's still this wrestling match with them of going, hey, we used to worship in the temple. Hey, we used to do these sacrifices. Hey, we used to do all this stuff. And now you just don't want us to do that anymore? Even that to them was a strange teaching. And so how do we discern what's right and what's not? And that's where the writer of Hebrews gives them the very practical example of sacri the sacrificial systems. Let's look together at verse 11. Sorry, verse 10. I apologize. Verse 10. It says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bot In other words, here's what he just said to them if you didn't catch this. He says, We, Christians following Jesus have an altar, not a physical altar, but a spiritual altar, from which those who serve the tent or the tabernacle have no right to eat. In other words, here's what he just said. If you're going to do sacrifices in the temple, you cannot serve Jesus. He just drew a line in the sand. He just distinguished, you're either with Jesus or you're still worshiping in the temple as a Jew. But if you're going to do that, you have no part with Jesus. Then he says this. He says, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the, uh, the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside of the camp. So he's pulling something that they know already. He says, hey, don't forget that when you brought animals to the temple to be sacrificed, they would sacrifice them on an altar. They would take the blood into the holy place, but the body went where? outside. They didn't use the body for anything else. It was burned outside of the tent. So he says, these guys were taken outside of the camp. And then verse 12, this is where it gets really critical. He says, so Jesus also suffered outside, not outside of the tent, but where did he suffer? Outside of the gate. Where was Jesus taken to be crucified? Calvary, Golgotha, the place of the skull. It was a hillside outside of the city gates. Jesus was a sacrifice whose blood was spilled. But his body, his body was taken outside of the camp. He drew their attention to what they knew about God. You know that this is how sacrifices happen. Jesus performed the ultimate sacrifice down to the letter of the law. His blood was spilled, his body taken outside of the camp. 
So Jesus also suffered outside of the gate, listen, in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside of the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. He says, listen, don't be led astray by strange teachings. Jesus isn't one of them. The sacrifice of Jesus lines perfectly up with how those sacrificial systems took place, but with God as the lamb, not an animal. Jesus suffered outside of the camp, and then he says this. He says, therefore, let us join him outside of the camp. In this moment, again, he distinguishes, and he says, hey, you can either stay at the temple and you can continue to worship the way that you are. Or you can leave the temple and go outside of the camp. And you can join this guy named Jesus. But it's going to require you to leave behind some things that you thought were right. As the writer of Hebrews sums up all of his writing, he says, Be content with what you have. Know that Jesus is your helper. Know that he's going to be with you through all of these things. Know that he is greater than all of this stuff. And because he's the same yesterday and today and forever, don't be led astray by any of these strange teachings, but join Jesus no matter what the cost. Be consent. But he uses this phrase at the end of verse 13. He says, therefore, let us go to him outside of the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. The call to us the call to the believers in Hebrews is to join in Jesus' suffering. Wes gets quoted way too often on this. But a number of years ago, Wes made a statement. Jesus didn't call us to bear our cross. Or sorry, Jesus didn't call us to bear our mattress. He called us to bear our cross. He didn't call us to comfort. He called us to challenge. He didn't call us to a life of ease, of contentedness, or in discontentedness, wanting more and more and more. He called us to a life of discomfort, <laughs> a life of sacrifice, a life of simple living for him. But he keeps going. We're almost done. Verse 15, or sorry, 14. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. He ties what we read in verse 5 all the way down to verse 14. Be content with what you have. Why? Because this is not our home. This is not our home. But what Jesus is preparing for us is greater. We seek a city to come. Then verse 15. Through him... Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. What's the result of being content knowing that we are living for a city uh, to come and not this city that is temporary? The outcome is that we continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. Why? Because of the theme of Hebrews. Jesus is greater. Do not neglect to do good, he continues. Do not neglect to do, good, to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders. Submit to them. 
for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will require who will have to give an account excuse me let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be a no advantage to you and then he finishes out the rest of chapter 13 with what's described as a benediction it is simply a farewell greeting we'll see you soon this morning as we wrap up our time in the book of hebrews i want to just sum up our time very simply to say this Jesus needs to not only be greater in your life, he needs to be the greatest. He needs to be the greatest thing that you can have, the greatest thing that you can put your time and attention into, the greatest thing that you can direct your hearts towards every day, the greatest thing that you can lead your family towards. He needs to be the greatest thing that you think about every single day. Jesus Christ needs to be greater. And as the writer of Hebrews says this to to these people so so many times, Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater, 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 greater. The command to us this morning is to recognize the greatness of God in our lives. And because God is so great, let us be content with wherever he has us and with whatever he has given us. And let's quit chasing dreams that are insignificant in light of eternity. At the beginning of our time when we first planted uh, five years ago, as we started meeting with some families and doing some different stuff, we went through a book called You and Me Forever by Francis Chan. It's a book on marriage. And the book is uh, centered around the concept that marriage is not about just being happy, but it's about being holy. Uh, And it's about this idea that I'm not here to please my wife and my wife is not here to please me. We're both here to please God. And as I think about the concept that are in the pages of that book and as I compare that to the book of Hebrews and think about being content... I realize that even beyond my marriage, this life is not about me being happy. This life is about me being holy. This life is not about me having everything that I want or trying to please other people. This life is about me trying to please God. And just like that book challenged us to live our marriages in light of eternity, understanding that our lifetime is this, eternity is everything after So I need to live my marriage knowing that one day I'll answer for that in eternity, just like that in every aspect of my life. I need to understand that my life is but a vapor. And then eternity comes. How am I living to please this greater God? I want to pray for you guys this morning as we get ready to wrap up. And if y'all have any more questions about Hebrews, don't, don't hesitate to bring them out. I'm sure y'all are probably dead tired of hearing the word Hebrews, and so we'll probably take a break from it for a little while. But if you just get hungry for more, let me know. If you want some more resources on the book of Hebrews, I've got several commentaries in my office if you want to look through them. Um, y'all are welcome to use those. And don't forget as well, we have a library that also has full commentary sets that are in the library that you are welcome to come anytime you want to. Uh, and uh, study through those materials that's just down the hallway. Uh, But this morning as we pray, let's just ask God to help us keep him greater in our lives. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for the study of your word. We thank you for the story of Hebrews and the writer who reminds us, God, that we need to keep you at the forefront of our minds, our hearts, and our lives that you are the greatest thing, the greatest 
God, the greatest Savior. You are the greatest shepherd. You are the greatest everything for us. You deserve our time, our attention, and our focus. And God, we look forward to the hope of the gospel that one day, Father, we will spend eternity not just talking about you, but seeing you. Seeing the greatest God. God, we look forward to that moment. This morning, Father, as we wrap up our time, we just pray that you would continue to do a work in our lives, Father, that if we're struggling with contentedness, Father, that today would be the day that we just lay that aside and that we just humbly be reminded that we have everything we need because the Lord is our helper. And you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God, the God who parted a sea, the God who destroyed the walls of Jericho, the God who redeemed his people through the sacrifice of a cross is the same God that we worship this morning. Jesus, we thank you. We love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.